The title of our lesson this morning is Come and See. Come and See. I do hope that each and every one of you that at some time this week said that to someone you know. Hey, we're having church Sunday. Come and see what we're doing, right? Our key words for our worshipers and training are disciple, see, and follow. Disciple, see, and follow. So let's go ahead and we'll read the text together and then we'll go begin to break down what we're to learn from this today. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are the Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, He purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. For those of you who are taking notes, if you'd like to note, um, these passages, these parallel passages can be found in uh, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22, Mark 1, verses 16 to 20, Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, 
And what, when you see these parallel passages, you'll see sometimes Jesus is calling these disciples. Um, he tells them to drop their nets and he will make them fishers of men. That's another one of the uh, calls that he calls to his disciples. And what we need to understand is that John is presenting to us one of the first calls, the initial call to get to know Jesus. And then later on, as you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that as he's gotten to know these guys, and as these guys have gotten to know him, that he is now telling them to drop what you are doing and come and follow me, to literally walk away from your old life and come and follow me. So this is an initial invitation to come and to see. And we need to understand that as we read this passage here, we're not seeing any miracles. There's nobody being raised from the dead. And we're not seeing angels come and give messages. We're actually seeing Jesus himself giving the message. And what we can note is this. One of the greatest miracles ever performed is when God opens the eyes of a person to be able to see his son, Jesus Christ. That is the greatest miracle that there is. The, the miracle of regeneration is the greatest gift of all. In the same way that God said, let there be light, and the lights came on, in the same way God speaks those words into the human heart, and their eyes are open to be able to see the Son of God. Not only that, as we talk about these passages today, I want us to also see some things that are very important. Number one, all of us in this room are believers today because of the grace of God and because of the will of men to go out and do what God commanded them to do, which is to share the gospel with others. You are a believer today because people did what they were commanded to do. These 12 disciples are his closest counterparts. He draws them out of the world and for three years he tutors them and he teaches them and he points them to his father and shows them what it looks like to live in his will and to walk in his truth. And after his death and burial and resurrection and through the pouring out of his Holy Spirit, he empowers these 11, not 12, but 11 of these 12 to go out into the world to all the corners of the world and share his gospel. And have you ever thought about the fact that because these disciples were obedient to his command, it has now resulted thousands of years later in your believing? These disciples were called to hear him, to receive him, and to believe him, and to walk with him, and to share his truth with others. And because of their willingness to hear, receive, and believe him, and to do what he's commanded them to do, that gospel message has been passed down through the years and the decades and the centuries. And it came to your ears. And it came to your heart. And at some time in your life, if you're in this room today and you're a believer, it's because the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of God's word, said, come and see. You see? He opens our eyes to see him. And so just a brief review from last week in verses 35 and 36. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. Now remember, John has a following of disciples. And when we talk about a disciple, a disciple is someone who is under the teaching of a teacher. They are under the discipline of a teacher. 
Uh, karate is known as a discipline, and the people bow before the guy that teaches them and says, what? Yes, sensei. That means master. Yes, master. And so the reality is, is that the Christian walk is a walk of discipleship. It is where the master is teaching us who we are to be and how we are to live and how we are to walk. And so often we forget that the walk is a disciplined walk. It requires discipline for us to be able to walk in his ways and his will. And so these are his disciples. And John the Baptist has disciples. And what we're going to see in the coming weeks is John the Baptist is going to say, I must decrease and he must increase. And we're going to start seeing the disciples of John turn from John and start following Jesus. And we talked about it last week, how John's message was what? Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 36 said, he looked at Jesus as he walked. What does it take to look? We have to see. He looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold the Lamb of God. What does the word behold mean? That was one of our key words for last week. What does it mean to behold something? To see it. That's exactly right. Do y'all see where this message is going today? Come and see. Come and see the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that is what John was proclaiming. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking by. And what does he say? Look, everybody, that's what you're to look at. He's the one that we look at. He's the one that we follow. He is the master. He is our teacher. And so today in our lecture, our sermon, we're going to see three points. Number one... The invitation to come and see, and we're going to see observations. What do they see? Number two, come and see, and we're going to hear that that is an invitation. So we have come and see as observations, come and see as invitation, and then finally, come and see the revelation. Come and see the observation. You have to be able to see it to know it. Come and See the invitation. And last of all, come and see the revelation. So let's look at that first uh, topic. Verse 37 said, And two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. They heard him speak, who? John the Baptist. And they followed Jesus. What was John the Baptist's message? What was his role? To be the one to prepare the way for the coming one. And so what did these disciples do? They heard him and they followed Jesus. And that is the pattern. In order for us to hear him, we must receive him and believe him. We hear him and we we follow him. So these two disciples heard John and followed Jesus. They attached themselves to Jesus because of the witness of John the Baptist. Now, I want to ask you a few questions for you to think about today. How are you and I pointed to Christ today? John the Baptist pointed to Christ and said, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How are you and I today pointed to Jesus? That's exactly right. Through his word. Now, are we commanded to live out that word in our lives? Yes. 
Yes. And will a life that is holy and set apart from this world who is walking with Christ be different than the rest of the world? Yes. And will people see that and say there's something different about that person? Yes. So our very conversations, now when I say conversation, that's a biblical word for the way I walk, the way I talk, the way I act, who I am. My conversation is my presentation to the world of me. And so what we find out is, is that the way that people are pointed to Christ is through our living testimonies, but it is only through the word of God alone that their eyes are truly opened to who he is. So your personal testimony can be very influential on other people. But it is the word of God that truly changes a person's heart and allows them to see him. That's very important for us to understand because we are commanded to go out. If somebody was here this morning, Billy and Deborah was here this morning. Or not Deborah, it was Billy and, it was Billy and Kelly. And they're going to do some bags for the kids, right? They're going to go do a, a voluntary thing where they go and give food to pe- the kids that don't have food on the weekends. All right, that is a very wonderful thing to do. It's a very kind thing to do, and it's very pleasing to God for us to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. And the truth of the matter is, is I can promise you it's going to impress on those kids when they get some food to eat on the weekend. But the reality is, is the only thing that's going to save their spiritual starvation is the Word of God. So you can sometimes get a door open by being kind to someone and by showing God's love and kindness to them through your actions. But it is very important for us to remember that it is the word of God that truly regenerates the human heart. It's the preaching of the word of God. It's the sharing of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes the heart. So we are to do works of kindness, acts of kindness, and we are to love other people. Right? We saw that this week in our church. But it is the word of God that changes people's hearts. And we never need to lose that focus. We need to come and see. Because the word allows us to see him. Remember, come and see. This is an observation. So that was the first question. How are we pointed to Christ today? We are pointed to Christ today through the acts, the conversations of his followers, his disciples. But more importantly, we are pointed to Christ through the word of God. Number two, another question I have to ask you. How are you pointed to Christ? Think about your life and your faith and the way that you became a believer. It's important to see those steps and what took place in your life in order for you to become a believer because you're going to need to know that as you point other people to Christ. Many of you in this room were raised by godly parents who simply drug you out of the house and made you come to Sunday school when you were a kid and hear the scriptures, right? But how many of us can raise our hand and make testimonies of fathers who loved us and got up every morning before the sun came up and went out and worked all day long and came home with calluses on their hands and and a broken back and, and and a poor spirit because they had been out laboring and toiling to make sure that you had food on your table, Right? Their conversation is an expression of their love for you. And then they made sure that you got your Sunday clothes on and went and heard about 
Jesus and the real Father, the true heavenly Father. And so I ask you today, how are you pointed to Christ? Think about a Sunday school teacher that really influenced your life as a kid. Or think about a husband or a wife when you were still lost. It was showing you God's love. And trying to get you to pray. And trying to get you to read your Bible. And trying to get you to come to church and listen to what the preacher's saying. Think about how you came to know Christ. Because we need to understand that the invitation has to be made. Come and see. Come and see him. And last of all, the last question is, do you point others to Christ? Now, again, when I ask you guys these rhetorical questions, I really don't want you raising your hand because I don't want to give you the opportunity to brag or the opportunity for you to be embarrassed. So I'm not asking you to raise your hands or keep your hand down. What I'm going to ask you is this. Take to heart this question that I'm asking you. How many people did you ask to come to church today? How many people this last week have you said, hey, uh, come, and, come and see. Come and see what we got going on. So, verse 38 says this. When Jesus turned and noticed these men following him, he said, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? John wants us as readers of his word to reflect on the deeper question. These men are beginning to follow him, but what is it that they're really looking for? You know, when you first introduce yourself to someone, you say, hey, my name's Ronnie. And especially with us guys, I can't talk about you girls because I I don't know what y'all talk about. But with a guy, we shake hands, and one of the first questions we usually ask somebody is somebody like, well, where do you work? What do you do? That's important to guys. Like, what do you do for a living? And we get to know people and we, we begin to open up our lives and share things about ourselves with other people. And, but the reality is just that what's behind all of these questions? What's behind all of these introductions? What's behind all of these conversations? Well, hopefully it's the desire to become friends with people, to, to be friendly to other people, to learn about others, to, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so these men ask Jesus a question, where do you live? Right? Where are you staying? Uh, in, the, in the common American language, I hear a lot of people ask that very question. Where do you stay? Right? Now, a lot of kids will say that now. Where do you stay? Right? And they say, I stay at my house. But th- this, these guys are asking Jesus because they're striking up a conversation. But what does he ask them? What do you seek? What are you looking for? even more basic, what do you want? And I ask you that question this morning. What is it that you want from Jesus? I know as a kid, I didn't know what I wanted, but I know what I didn't want, and that was to go to hell. I didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to burn. So I ran down the aisle and trust of Christ. But God, after that initial visit in my life, has continued to bring me to himself and help me to get to know him better through his word and through the love of other Christians. And now I realize what I really want is him. And as I grow and I walk with him, I begin to learn that 
the hundreds of books that I've read in my life that were nonfiction or fiction books and just nonsense science fiction and what well, none of that stuff has ever mattered as much as the stuff that I'm learning now. And he has given me a hunger and a desire to know him. A to study, to show myself approved, to please him. And not only please him, but by studying, I'm getting to know him. And my hunger and my desire, and I'm not bragging to you guys, I'm just telling you that my appetite has changed. And it is changing. And I'm getting less and less concerned about the things of this world and more and more concerned about him. So what do I want? I want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to know what it means to die to self and live for him. That's what I want. I am so grateful. We were sitting around the other night, and Angie asked me that y'all having a a Super Bowl party tonight, and that's a wonderful thing to do. Like, I think it's a wonderful thing. Good snacks, a good game, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, you want to come over to the game? Angie, to tell you the truth, I do want to come over to the game, but I can't. Because I got some reading I got to get done. I have goals that I have to get done. And not only that, I've worked 80 hours this week and I've got to go to bed. Now, there was a part of me 20 years ago that went to your party and stayed at midnight and then got up at 3 and went to work and drug all through the day. But what I'm learning is, is that I have to follow him. And I have to do what he commands me to do. Not because I have to, but because I want to. And the more I walk with him, the more I die to this world, the more I die to myself and my desires, the more I see him, the more I know him, the more I believe him, the more I trust him. And that is my desire for each and every one of you too. Paul prays in Ephesians, he said, I pray that as you hear these words that your eyes will be lit up and your heart will be swollen with the joy and the grace and the knowledge and the wisdom of who he is. Because that's what God is doing. That's what he is doing when he sent his son to save us. That's what he's doing when he sent his Holy Spirit to fill your hearts. He's conforming you to the image of his son. And he's allowing you to see him and to know him. So Jesus asked them, or they asked Jesus, where are you staying? They call him rabbi. That word literally means my great one. But it was a common way that people would address those in authority over them. Rabbi means teacher. So they said to him, what do you want? Or he said to them, what do you want? Where are you staying? He said, what do you want? They asked, where are you staying? He said, what do you want? And then... He gives them an invitation. So we've had an invitation to observation, an invitation to see. Now he's going to give them an invitation to come. And this is what he said. Come and see. Again, that same repetition in it. Come and see. They went and saw. He calls. They obey. He says, come and see. And what do they do? They follow. And what happens? They see. I want to remind you of something in 1 John, or I'm sorry, not 1 John, but John chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. Jesus is now speaking to his uh, to-be disciples, and all of his to-be disciples are Jews. 
And there's a reason for that because that was God's plan. Look what it says in John 1, verses 11, 12. This is just back from where we are today. It said, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Right. So what's happening there? He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. So who did he come to? The nation of Israel. And it says his own people did not receive him. But what are we seeing right here? He made that invitation. And the ones that he invited, what happened? They did receive him. They received him. They believed him. And what did they do? What is the evidence that I have received and believed him? They followed him. They accepted his invitation and they came. He makes the invitation. What does he say? Come and see. Who does that call go out to? Everyone. And those that truly see him accept the invitation and come. See how that works? So, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, they stayed with him that day about the 10th hour. And when you're reading the book of John, John is often, on, most of the time, he's on Roman time. And so the Roman day started at 6 a.m. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Roman day started at midnight. Okay? So if it's the 10th hour, what time of the day is it? 10 o'clock in the morning. If it's the third hour, it would be 3 in the morning. If it's the 6th hour, it would be 6 in the morning. Now, you military guys would remember the 0600, right? But the reality is, is that John says that it was about the 10th hour. That means it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then it said that they stayed with him all day. All right, we come in here, we meet. Uh, we come here at 9, uh, 15, 9.15, 9.30-ish. Right? We have Sunday school, and then we get out here about 12.05 from church. So we come and we stay from the 9th hour to the 12th hour. And if we stay much over the 12th hour, then people start getting grumpy, right? These people went and they came and they saw Jesus. And how long did they stay waiting? From 10 in the morning to all day. Right? How many of y'all remember those times when you had a good Sunday school class or a wonderful sermon and then everybody just stayed around and talked afterwards for a long time? Right? It, yeah, thank you. I remember those days too. And, and the reality is, is that the other night, y'all got out of here at 9 o'clock. We had that uh, fellowship meal, that grief meal for for Loretta and her family. And what did y'all do? Before they got here, we were here for two hours. What did we do? We talked and we fellowshiped and we, we, we snuck some food. I saw Wayne sneaking food. And, uh, and, uh, and, and we had a good time. We fellowshiped. We grew together as a family. And after they left, what did you do? You stayed around and you hung out and you talked and you cleaned up and watched it. But it was a joy. Those are fun times. I just had a little young lady last night at the store. I was working. It was about 9 o'clock. And she'd come to the realization that I had never been married and that I don't have kids. And she asked me something last night. She said, don't you get lonely? And the truth of the matter is I would have to answer at times, yes. Now, my life is so full right now, I don't have time to get lonely. You know, even the little bit of time I had at the house, by the time I pet the cat and, you know, pet the dog and scratch the cat and get some food now, it's time to go to sleep. So I don't have a whole lot of time for that. But how much do we relish in that invitation to come and be a part of the family of God, to be together with one another? 
right? We got a wonderful group of folks that are meeting here on Monday nights, and we have a good time. And Wayne and Roy always get mad because after, after we get finished with the class, they're ready to go, and the ladies want to sit around. We talk for a long time, don't we, about all kinds of things, and we have a good time. But there's certain of the fold, and I'm not going to, like, I'm not calling you out because you have lives and you have to do what you have to do, but you miss out on that when you don't come and be a part of that. Starting in April, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that we're going to be able to start having Wednesday night prayer meetings. And these are all invitations for you to come and see. And nobody, I can promise you this, uh, we're not fundamentalists. We're not going to come to your house and preach you in hell for not showing up for Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's not the way it works. The invitation is an open invitation, and it's up to you to receive it and come. Come and see. Yeah, come and see. Right? And you know what happens? Look what it said again. Look at that verse. Uh, Well, let me find it again. Verse 39. Jesus said to them, come and you will see. And what happens next? So they came and they saw He didn't lie to them, did he? Come and see. They came and saw. It's a very simple message, but it has a very profound effect, does it not? Yeah, and they stayed all day. They were excited about it. Now, I tell you guys, I look forward to my nap on Sunday. Like, when we get ready to leave out of here, I go home and I take me a good four-hour nap every Sunday. That's what I do. I believe in resting in the Lord. Amen? But but it's because I work hard all week and I want to rest. But I do enjoy my time with you guys. And it builds up all week. I get more and more excited about being here and seeing you at the end of the week. And that's how we should be as brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we're a family, and we're going to get on one another's nerves, and we're going to say stuff that's going to make each other mad at times. And, and, uh, but we're going to love one another, and we're going to join in a fellowship with our Father who art in heaven. And it's a wonderful thing. And if it's, that, if it's good, and it's a good fellowship, then your desire should be for the others in our community to see the same thing and know the same thing. We should be going out and inviting other people. Come and see. Again, remember that as these disciples were made, they are the very ones that God uses as the foundational pieces of the church. These are the ones that he plants so that the church can sprout out from it. And now the command is for me and you to go forth and what? Bear fruit as well. All right. So the term, uh, they, they, uh, in verse 41, it said, he found his own brother Simon. Now, this is Peter, guys. He found Peter, Simon, and said, we have found the Messiah, or the anoint, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. All right. So the term Messiah, when you hear that, we need to understand that that word means the anointed one. The word Messiah means anointed one. Now, in the Old Testament, there were certain people that got anointed, that were anointed. A priest would be anointed. When Aaron took over the role as priest of the high priest of the nation of Israel, what did they do? They anointed his head with oil and it poured down on his beard, remember? And so he was anointed as the priest of the nation of Israel. When King David was chosen to be the new king, when Saul was out there acting a fool, God sent Samuel, and he went and found David, and what did he do? He looked at all of uh, Jesse's sons and said, nope, not that one, nope, not that one. And he finally got to the youngest one and said, he's the one. Anoint him. And he poured oil on his head and said, this is my king. Right? 
And then prophets were anointed as well. You'll see that in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. He was, uh, he was anointed to become the uh, successor. And so what we see is in the Old Testament, there were prophets anointed. There were priests anointed. And the kings were anointed. And guess what? In Jesus, what role does Jesus have? He is our prophet. He is our priest. And he is our king. And God the Father, remember when he come out of the water, what did he do? He anointed him with the Holy Spirit. He poured down his blessing on him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is the one that the father pointed out and said, this is the savior of the world. So when Simon, when, when he comes and finds his brother Simon and says to him, we have found the Messiah, immediately to the Jewish mind, he would have been thinking, this is the one that has come to save us. This is the one that has come to rescue the nation of Israel. This is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so we need to remember, we've talked about this in the past, when we call Jesus Christ our Lord, remember Jesus is his earthly name. That's his name. Christ is Christos, which means the anointed one. So he is Jesus, that's his name, Christ the anointed one. And when I call him Jesus Christ my Lord, there's three names all in a row, isn't it? Jesus is his earthly name. Christ is the name that means he's the anointed one. And Lord means, what have we said in the past? He is the what? Boss of me. We tell people all the time, you're not the boss of me. I ain't got to do what you tell me to do. But if you truly bow your knees today and call him Lord, what you're saying is, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Right? As I lay silent, I forget the last word, something still. But, right? Think about that. When you call him Lord, you're saying you're the boss. You're the king. And that's what he's telling his brother Simon. He's saying, we have found the Christ. And look what it says. He brought him to Jesus. That's something important, isn't it? We are to bring others to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. When he looked at him, he said, you are the son of God. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Petros means little rock. Petros, you are a rock, right? Well, there's a lot of different reasons why they call Peter, why Jesus called Peter rock. Number one, he's got a rock head. He's constantly saying and doing the wrong things, right? That's one of the things we're going to find out about Jesus' disciples. They're just as human as we are. They put their foots in their mouth. They, they jump to conclusions. They misunderstand things. They misapprehend things. They, they make mistakes. They're human beings. And Jesus is loving them and all their flaws and all their faults. And he says, Peter, you are my rock. But he is also the rock in the sense that uh, when Jesus was being tried, Peter denied him three times, didn't he? But did you know that when Peter died, he died hung upside down on a cross? By request. He said, I don't deserve to die as good as my master. So at one time in his life, he was vacillating and afraid and unwilling to stand up for his king, his Messiah. But by the end, he truly was a rock. 
He said, on this rock I stand. Amen? We should be the same. A couple of points to point out about that fact that he was brought to Jesus by his brother. The most common and effective Christian witness is the private witness of a friend or a brother. Let me say that again. The most common and effective Christian witness is the private witness of a friend or a brother. Have you ever pulled a brother or a friend aside and said, hey, you need to know Jesus, you're lost? His love is there for you if you'll only turn and receive it. Same goes to not just friends and brothers, but family and loved ones too. Our children, our husbands, our wives, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, our co-workers, the people that God has placed in your path. That is who a neighbor is. A neighbor is someone that God has placed in your path. And one of the most effective means of witnessing to other people about Jesus is through those that are closest to you. Okay? Second of all, there is a foundational principle of truly Christian expansion ever since the followers of Jesus bear witness to him, to those who turn and repeat the process. It's the circle of the Christian life. People share God's love with you. You receive it and believe it. And when you receive it and believe it, one of the first expressions that you truly know you're a child of God is when you're willing to do what? Sharing with others. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Man, everybody in your house was ready to shut the door on you because you was telling everybody about Jesus. Right? Nobody could shut you up. Every time you sat out there, they were, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, on fire. When we first get saved, we first get baptized, we first made that profession of faith, and we first know his forgiveness, when we know what it truly means to have that guilt of sin and shame and eternal condemnation pulled off of our shoulders, man, we run around like a limpet runner telling everybody about him. And then what happens? The world, the flesh, and the devil start kind of hampering our our witness, our testimony. We need to remember that, that this is a never-ending cycle. Someone invited you and said, come and see, and we are to invite others to come and to see. On the next day, Jesus desired to go into Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom... uh, Moses, the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he was addressed as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The one that Moses wrote about in the what? Law and the prophets. And it's very important for us to see that. Let's take a look at a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. Uh, Let's go to that passage. You got one? The Deuteronomy passage? Yeah. So this is from the book of Deuteronomy, and this is God speaking to Moses, and he says, the Lord, or Moses speaking to the people, said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. You will listen to his voice. Right? Turn back for me because I, I missed that. Your countrymen, you shall listen to him. All right, and next verse. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Oreb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great sight fire anymore, or I will die. 
the Lord said to me, they have well spoken. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And so it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So Moses is telling the people that one day God is going to raise up another prophet like him, and he is going to come and give the people all of his words. And if they will hear him, if they will receive him, they will be accepted. And if they reject him, they will be condemned. And so when uh, these disciples are saying that we found him, we found the one of whom the prophets speak of, they're recognizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. So we have seen come and see as an observation to see. We've seen come and see as an invitation. And now let's look at it as come and see as a revelation. And for those of you who are a part of our morning, our Monday afternoon Bible studies, you'll appreciate that more than some of the other folks. And so I want to give you credit for that. Look what it says in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael come and said to him, now this is revelation. So Jesus is now going to reveal himself to those who have seen him and accepted the invitation to come. Let me say that again. Jesus is now going to reveal himself to those that have seen him and accepted the invitation to come. And watch what it says. Nathanael come and said, behold, truly, here is a uh, Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, where do you know me from? And Jesus answered him and said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered to him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, Jesus revealed himself to him. How did he reveal himself to him? He said, how do you know who I am? Well, you and I, if you've been in here and you're a part of our Sunday school classes, you know that he's known us since when? Before the foundation of the world. And that knowledge, that knowing is an intimate knowledge, like a husband knowing his wife. There's an intimacy there. That knowledge is very intimate. So in one way, as Nathaniel says, hey, Jesus, how do you know me? He can say to him from Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's how I know you. But that's not what he says. He said, Nathaniel, remember when you were under the fig tree over there? That's how I know you. So we, we have to speculate on what happened. But apparently, Nathaniel was under the fig tree praying something like this. Oh, God, if you're real, show me you're real. We've done that before, right, trying to test God. Oh, God, if you're really there, let me know that you're really there. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to him and said, remember when you were under the fig tree? That's how I know you. And immediately says what? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He knew it immediately because something that he said to him rung a bell with something that had happened while he was sitting under that fig tree. We don't know what it is. When I get to heaven, maybe I'll get a chance to ask Nathaniel what it was and, and how he recognized that. But again, God is revealing himself to Nathaniel on an individual basis. He's letting him know him more personally. He heard him, he saw him, he accepted the invitation to follow him, and now what's happening? He's being revealed to him who he really is. And what does Nathaniel do with that revelation? He shares it. 
You truly are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, watch this. So Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you, you saw these things under a tree, you're going to believe me? You're going to see greater things than this. So what happens to the revelation? It's going to increase. It's going to become more intimate. It's going to become more personal. And watch what Jesus does. In order to reveal himself to Nathaniel and to the disciples, he's going to share his word with them. Well, what do I mean by that? Look what he says. He said to him, truly, truly. Now, this is the first truly, truly statement in the book of John. There's all kind of truly, truly statements in there. Truly, truly, and and, uh, it's really the words, amen, amen. So be it. It's going to happen. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens. uh, You will see the heavens open. And you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what is he talking about? Why did he say that? Where do we hear that from? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 28 and look at verses 10 through 15. We're almost done, folks. It says, Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Jacob is on the run for his life from his brother who is going to kill him because he stole his blessing. He came to a certain place, and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. I don't know how he sleeps on a stone, but he did. He had a dream. And behold, what does that word behold mean? See. See, a ladder was set on the earth, and its top reached into heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What is it in that passage? The ladder. So Jacob's there asleep. He has a dream. And in this dream, there's a ladder. And on that ladder, what does he see? He sees angels coming down. And he sees angels going up. What do angels do? They're the what? Messengers of God. They come and do God's will. They go down and they come and they're coming up and down on a ladder. Right? When we was in Sunday school as kids, we sung, we all climbed Jacob's ladder. Y'all remember that song we sung at Sunday school? But he's saying, he's reminding his Nathaniel that you think you saw something amazing now. Wait until you follow me and keep coming with me. And I truly reveal to you who I am. Because who is he? He is the ladder. Look what it says again. He said, and truly I say to you, you will see the heavens and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the way from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. That's what he tells Nicodemus. No man has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, even so the Son of God. So he's telling Nathan, you think you see something now. I have come to bring heaven down to earth and bring earth back to heaven. I'm the ladder. I'm the bridge between the two. And I'm going to reveal that to you. And over the next three years, that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus bringing heaven to earth and bringing his people to heaven. He is the ladder. He's the way to the Father. And so he's reminding 
his disciple of that. And how does he remind him of who he is? He points him to the scriptures. Because what we know, and then I'll finish with this point, and then we're done because it's 12. It's time to close. Jesus tells one group of people, you did not come to see me because you want to hear my words. You come because I filled your bellies with bread. All of those miracles that Jesus does never convinces anybody of anything. In the story of Abraham, uh, the story of Lazarus and Davies, it said uh, uh, Lazarus was in, in, uh, Davies was in hell and he was screaming. He said, just send them back and let him tell my five brothers about this place so that they won't come here. And what did Jesus say? Even if the dead were to come back to life and tell them they wouldn't believe it, they have Moses, let them hear him. So all of the miracles of the world will not open someone's eyes to believe God, except the miracle of regeneration, except for God changing the human heart and opening the eyes to his truth. And you're going to see this all through the life of Jesus. He's going to come and he's going to proclaim that truth to all. And some will receive him. Some will believe him and some will follow him. Many will reject him. But it always works that way. It's going to be an invitation to see. And then once their eyes are open, the invitation is going to be to come. And then finally the invitation is going to be revelation this is who I am and this is how you know me and we grow in that understanding and that relationship with him every day so this is not one of the exciting passages of the scripture where we have people coming back from the dead or leprosy being healed or blind people seeing but it is one of the most important foundational messages in the gospel that Jesus calls the people to himself that he forgives them and saves them and gives them eyes to see and hearts to believe and wills to follow him. And when God is the one that does that work, those people then turn and share that gift with others. And that's how it has to be in our lives as well. Amen? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your message. Thank you so much for your invitation to come and see you. Thank you so much for opening our eyes to know you. Thank you so much for your revelation, your word, and your truth. And my prayer is that we will take these words to heart. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. One more hymn. This is called He Will Hold.